Amrita. Bhakti. Can we ever banish the ghosts from our past? Oh, sure. I think I'll just pay my astrologer to do it and my tarot reader. Wait, also my psychic, I think. <laughs> So just throw money at your ghosts. That's what I'm hearing here. <laughs> and right? still they don't go away. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to get serious about this topic. We have an actual ghost story writer joining us today, Jessica Falero, uh, who writes about Haunted Goa. But then she also writes about like families and family secrets and all these weird things she experienced in the past. So I hope she's going to spill the tea. Right. Uh, but basically, it seems that we do spend a lot of energy repressing stuff and then paying a bunch of astrologers and tarot <laughs> readers and psychics to like banish our issues or our ghosts, right? Right, and somehow they should be predicting how we live and how we should <laughs> not live. So, and yet we don't look, look inward. But you know, this conversation itself, I am absolutely really interested about. Um, I just came out of watching Haunting in Venice Oh, uh, uh, by Christy and, you know, Hercule Poirot. That's a whole conversation. And it talks about haunting in very specific ways. But it just made me think about what do you mean by ghost bhakti? There's so many different definitions out there. What is a ghost? I know. I guess the question that we asked, I almost mean it metaphorically, you know, like the baggage from our past traumas or things that have happened, stuff that we are unable to break out of, bad patterns. Um, but of course, I also mean, and I think this is where Jessica comes in, like actual ghost sightings and paranormal activity stuff we don't make sense of, but then we lock them away in this psychology box. But for me, always ghosts, and maybe this is because like I study literature and history or whatever or culture, but right. it's always about uh, history and how different yeah. cultures deal with personal and political histories, you know? Right, and you're absolutely right. I'm thinking, um, you know, I, I come from Calcutta and I was born there and I was fascinated growing up learning that the mm -hmm. word hoot that we know so very well as ghosts mm -hmm. actually means the past in Bengali. So, wow. you, know, okay. you know, literally the ghost of the past in this case, right? And, you know, what you said about history in the past, so these ghosts are elements from the past that are repressed and they're coming back to tell us something, right? Mm -hmm. If only we will listen. Oh God. So, so yeah. I want to know though, let's start off with, do you have a ghost experience? <laughs> oh God. Uh, um, I've spent a lot of time avoiding ghost experiences. So I guess I believe that they exist. So I've not had proper a proper ghost experience that I can narrate or like, you know, make lemonade out of. But I have had this, idea of like a presence or like the weight of something inexplicable in the room mm -hmm. and you know like the thing is that my dad worked as a civil engineer and he for a long time he worked on dam projects which were in very remote parts of India so I lived in like very strange isolated homes on top of hills uh nothing you know howling wind type of stuff uh which can be very beautiful but I recall or like physically sense some very um, strange moments, you know. Mm. But 
I'll be very honest. Like, I'm not open to it. That's because I'm like a scaredy cat. Like, I'm scared of everything. So maybe I'm super repressed, you know, like I don't like being in the dark or being alone. And and so I feel people, there are people who are more receptive. And I guess, you know, Jessica will answer that question is like, are you able to receive those experiences, some better than the others? Right. But um, I don't know. Uh, what about you? Any weird stuff, weird stories? You know, it, again, it goes back to, uh, because it's so fresh in my mind, there's this line in Haunting in Venice that talks about, you know, whether it happened or not, uh, we had that experience, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I also think that a space itself lends to becoming ghostly or spooky in a way that our projections are there. And I'm thinking about this particular incident um, when I moved um, in, in a, to a house in New Jersey. This is long ago. Wow. And my family was helping me build furniture, like, you know, put together Ikea furniture. And it was an empty house, right? Again, these kinds of associations in a collective memory, that empty house, new house. We have so many of these films that, you know, new empty yeah. house, people moving in, something happens. So I kind of tell myself that probably came from there. But sitting together, making the furniture, and the house is absolutely empty. And then we heard footsteps in the corridor coming closer and closer and closer. And it stopped at the door in the room where we were, right at the door. And I first felt that I'm just hallucinating, that it's probably just me hearing things. And yeah. then I looked at the person in front of me, helping me with the furniture. And I saw the horror on the person's face in front of me and then I realized that we both had heard it wow. and, and you know I don't live there anymore but um, I, I still think about that moment we never found out anybody dropped the furniture <laughs> we left the house and I kept thinking oh my goodness I will never be able to live in this house ever um, much later when I left that place I did try to dig around and there had been a death in that house I don't know what happens. As there are deaths in many houses, but... Exactly. So is it my projection of a fear? Mm -hmm. But something very weird happened that day that some of us heard. I love that every second you're narrating that story, you had to kind of use rational language to explain exactly. like, oh, it's because I watched some movies. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think we do that constantly. And this is also about the receptiveness uh, exactly. that I have. You know, and I think like, thinking about this episode or thinking about this question or the fact, you know, reading a bit of Jessica's uh, book, uh, I do remember like stories of trans possession, you know, when uh, people get possessed uh, with ghosts in, uh, in um, and I know there were aunts in my family where that happened uh, almost on an annual basis at certain things. And uh, it's a very violent event because, you know, their body kind of throws back and it's uh, it's very intense and they start to speak in a very uh, strange uh, voice because they Other get a voice. Yeah, and you know, in Marathi, they say the, the word, it's called angatyeta, you know, like it, it enters your body, like something mm -hmm. enters your body. And it's also like uh, tends to be women. And I know that uh, also in certain temples, you will see these women and, you know, you always find somebody, another woman or somebody else who will like whack them to to snap them out of this or something or sometimes you're looking for answers so i have seen that and i i remember being 
utterly and absolutely terrified of those things. But mm. then I also remember seeking those experiences. Like I did play the Ouija board as a kid, <laughs> trying, you know, trying to bring back dead people. Like, oh, am I going to have a boyfriend? And what's his name going to be? And all these stupid, like, you know, stupid now. But like, we're trying to connect with something. We're trying to connect. Yes. I think that's actually at the bottom of this. I mean, it's a cultural expression, right? We are trying to move beyond yeah. realms of rationality and trying to seek an access between the living and the beyond and what is, right? And because we don't know uh, or have an expression of this, maybe these are all symbols of getting there or trying to access. So, you know, what I'm trying to also think about is culturally so many of these symbols or metaphors are so similar, right? Yeah. Um, thinking of, in again, my experiences are so rooted in Bengal. And, you know, I think all of India have this kind of, you know, the <laughs> pattern of sitting with ghost stories. All families have something or the other. But yeah. I'm thinking of the idea of uh, the 14 candles right before Kali Puja. Um, uh, houses will mm -hmm. have 14 candles called Bhut Chaturdashi. And it's similar to the idea of old, All Souls Day when candles are put outside the house and both are mm -hmm. inviting the ancestral spirits to, to guide. And right. um, so, you know, what we are thinking about is trying to make sense of our present right. life and culturally making an expression or a symbol with that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all of this is a part of ourselves, is an encounter with the self ultimately. Don't yeah. you think? As in, you no, saying I agree. I agree. I agree. And uh, it's interesting what you're saying about the cultural things. You know, uh, before I left, like you know, Bombay or India to come to the U.S., I just assumed that we are a culture of people who have a really like huge soft spot for these things. Whether it's astrology, whether it's like uh, you know uh, this kind of obsession with like prediction you know trying to find out is this a good period to do something bad period I also thought it's like a Hindu fixation but then I uh, you know went to Bard College which is in upstate New York and it's like thousand acres and it's in the woods and I found out right away that it's considered the epicenter of this sort of enchanted uh, haunted uh part of like New York State or something and that people have had very strange experiences uh, pianos playing by themselves an entire song being recorded like very um, strange stories so I was like oh okay and the VG board I didn't have the name for it when I was in India but then of course I found out like all Americans are playing, <laughs> playing with the VG board so you know I like the notion that these are different cultural expressions, but they're also the same. And I, I think I always come back to like wanting to cope with history, personal right. or political. Like, right. you know, I think it's always about like the haunted building because something oh, happened there or like uh, something really screwed up that happened in your family that nobody yeah. wants to talk about until like somebody gets possessed, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, and, you know, I think that's something that we do need to focus on, which is this idea about... Uh, hauntings from the past. I mean, this is about repressed stuff, repressed things, memories coming back. Mm -hmm. But sometimes these are radical things. These are also subversive, resistant ideas and um, yeah. kind of resisting to patriarchy. I'm thinking about the, uh, again, this kind of um, uh, folklore about Mecho Petni in Bengali, which is, you know, uh, fishy. Um, spectral entities or churels, as we know in the kind of Indian um, 
language uh, right. Hindi. But you know, the idea is that these were young widows. I much later in life learned that these were young widows who really loved eating fish. And then they became this kind of spectral entities after death. But, you know, it's rooted in the lack, in the desire, also in the kind of um, patriarchal oppression that these repressed energies are coming back to resist. So mm -hmm. it, in a way, these are also about um, repressed past coming back yeah. to correct things, repair things, or making us listen in some yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. That's interesting you're, what you're saying about like feminist hauntings or, uh, you know, reminds me of a brilliant film uh, from Senegal called Atlantics, uh, which is like, you know, these group of women uh, at night turn into zombies and they are basically avenging the deaths of their male partners who uh, were not paid by this corporate boss and then they went and they died and uh, it's wild and it's really this idea of like uh, women seeking this revenge you know right, uh, right. but seeking it through this like uh, alternate other life outside of the boundary of the of the living and so on so I like the politicizing um, of the ghosts that that you're doing here and I think Jessica has some stuff that's also about like colonial hauntings yeah. and things like that right Jessica writes specifically about Goa and it's you know past about with Portuguese colonialism and I'm also thinking about um, you know fascinating stories there's this really great book um, actually by Rick Shundor Banerjee and I think he is a ghost scholar writing about ghosts in India and yeah. um, I think I think he has written about uh, Warren Hastings the really archetype of colonial ad administrator in Bengal and yeah. you know uh, Calcutta is filled with ghost stores and ghost, you know, spooky really? buildings. Yes. And, you know, there's this whole, um, I've constantly heard about this, that the ghost of Warren Hastings, who was impeached in the 18th century in, um, in England because of what he did in India. And there's this uh, whole folklore about his ghost keeping alive, coming back in this Warren Hastings building because he's oh. searching for the black box. Uh, where his documents were, which would have proven his innocence, but he never finds it and he's impeached. So that so many people have said that they've seen the ghost coming back and it's searching for something. And of course, you know, is it true? We don't know, but strange sightings have happened near the Hastings house, but it's literally a manifestation of the colonial haunting, right? That mm. these spaces have had these very dark histories. Mm. And, um, and again, you mentioned the revenge metaphor. And in this case, it's not so much revenge, but you know, that pattern, not just in, um, in a Western symbol but also in india did you watch that film called bulbul it's um uh, no, i am literally scared of these i don't watch them <laughs> i'm not joking i find them terrifying i find them to be real i know you're supposed to think of them as like existing outside of the real or to enjoy or to be fearful and then laugh or i don't know what it's supposed to do but um i don't i have that gene missing you know? uh, or, or you know, I also want to know why we like to feel scared and still, you know, yeah. watch it. That kind of entertainment value of the horror as a genre that needs a kind of. I know, know, and it's massively revived actually in in books, in movies. You know, it's always been there, but like right. something to do with COVID, something to do with whatever our climate change. You know, all these kinds of things have led to a revival. Like those tools are sort of not. Um, 
enough, you know. So right. I do feel that Jessica's coming in now into the studio. So um, let's ask her. We have so many questions. And I know questions. about ghosts and our present moment. Hi, Hi Jessica. Jessica. Welcome. Uh, the, the question we've been debating and, you know, we've gone over a bunch of things from our childhood, politics, all these kinds of things, but you're the real expert. Um, so Jessica Falero uh, is an actual ghost story writer. Your book is called Afterlife, which centers Goa as this place of, um, you know, colonial hauntings, but it's also about family. It's also about yourself. Uh, and these are wonderful, engaging stories. And I think you're the perfect person to talk to us about the question of banishing the ghosts from our past somehow. Why can't we do that? What are we, where are we going wrong? Why do you have to keep living with them? And you've made ghosts the central topic of your work. So yeah. do you want to say what got you started on this topic? Yes, thanks, uh, Amrita and Bhakti, for having me here. Uh, really love the chance to be to able to talk about ghosts, my book, uh, anytime, actually. Um, and we'll unpack a little bit about why that is as well. People, you know, have this feeling around talking about ghosts, I think, that I've discovered since I've published the book. Um, but yeah, so why uh, was it you asked about the you know, what haunts us and maybe what led me to write this book. And so mm -hmm. I had uh, an, uh, a ghostly experience, shall we say, when I was oh, 10 gosh. years old. Um, <laughs> and that was actually uh, something that stayed with me and that ended up haunting me to the point where I, you know, two decades later, uh, it helped me get something onto the page and actually write this book. So over the period of two decades as well, uh, the thing that happened, the episode that happened stayed with me in such a vivid way that I started asking other people about their ghost stories. And so my book is actually a, an amalgam of lots of different true stories and true anecdotes, I guess, uh, from collected from people around the world. Mm. And uh, yeah, so they, it ended up into my, into my ghost story book. But yeah, I was also haunted by something then yeah. Oh, I want to know about that, uh, Jessica. And your book did keep me up a lot of nights, I have to admit. <laughs> You're not the only person that said that. Uh, but yeah. I guess that's a compliment for a ghost story writer. But I guess our question is also, can we banish the ghosts from our past? So we have at, towards the end of this conversation, we're going to have to find out if Jessica managed to banish anything or she just stays awake at night, scaring us and herself. <laughs> but oh, I do yeah. want to know what what got you writing ghost stories initially. Yeah, so so uh, I mean, so when I was ten years old, so I'll tell you the story. So when I was ten years old, uh, I was visiting my grandmother, and we were on holiday. So it was my parents and I at my grandmother's house in this very rural setting in Goa, uh, and it was afternoon time, post lunch. Everyone was like sated. Uh, the grown-ups were still talking in the dining room and I was really bored. So we were really lived in an isolated uh, spot, my grandmother, in the middle of nowhere. And so I went to the backyard and um, just across the way uh, was an elderly uncle's um, house that was boarded up. He had passed away a few years ago. And so there was this boarded up house that I knew no one was living in. And as I stood there and I was watching, uh, I suddenly saw this lace curtain on the inside of a window starting to move. 
as if oh, there was God. a breeze that caught it. And I was a very rational child. I remember this even now. I was a really rational child, even at 10. And I'm standing there going, oh, there's no wind. It was something like 2.30, 3 in the afternoon. And Goa has this very particular kind of breeze that blows around then. Uh, mm. But there was nothing. It was still air. And then I see this lace cotton moving. And then I look again at it while I'm doing all these calculations. And then I see this rocking chair just past the window on the inside starting to move. And I had no, no explanation for it. And people do say this. like So the hair on the... The, what do they say? The hair on the backs of your arm, the back of your neck stands up. And I had that exact feeling. Oh <laughs> uh, and I'm not the only one, you know, I've learned in the two decades since. But, but cut to, so, so then I call my mother out. And of course, by then I'm like telling her what's happening. Uh, and I'm waiting for her to see something. And then everything is still again. So she's decided, oh, it's just a child's story and you're imagining it. And then the nugget for that incident stayed with me and has ended up in my book. But of course, my, that's just a nugget in the book. And the book is like much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never really had a resolution to that at that point of time. Actually, nine years later, I did um, because we found out um, my grandmother and my uncles and my father were actually having a conversation and they started mentioning my name. And I was like, what? And they're like, oh, you remember that thing that happened that you told us about 10 years ago? Whatever. I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, people have been citing a lot of weird things happening around the same house. It was still boarded up. Wow. So that creeped me out. I mean, I did not want to be around my grandmother's house. But uh, that had been a ago. recent thing? Like, no, so that was so that the first thing happened at 10, at, when I was age 10. And mm. then cut to age 19, that happened. So I'd already, it had, I already had an interest in talking you know, about ghosts and ghost stories with people. And then this really freaked me out. So wow. the, and this so was your family me, house? Yes. And so my, no, well, but yeah. It was an empty house, house, right? It, it was Sorry? an empty house. It was a completely empty, boarded up house that, you know, house disputes happen. They get, yeah. you know, in India, it's very common. It just gets tied up in legal stuff for ages. And that's exactly what had happened to this house. And it was still boarded up. It was still like very decrepit. There was mm -hmm. no one living there. And people used to see at this at this sort of afternoon time uh, mm -hmm. a shepherd sort of person, a young boy in the courtyard, just sweeping the leaves. And as soon as someone from the neighborhood would come up to ask him, "Who are you? And what are you doing here?" They, mm -hmm. he would vanish before their eyes. I've but never did, seen it. This was a story I was told. Wow! But did it force like some kind of conversation? Like, did weird stuff happen there? If you can share, like, with your family That's or like what? What was? You know, no idea, no idea. There was so, an unhappy presence there. Is exactly. that isn't that what we would say? So I think uh, it ends up becoming difficult when you try to tie it in with something. Some ghosts can be tied in with. So I do write about psychological hauntings, and if you read like Henry yeah. James' Turn of the Screw, when yeah. I was doing my research for this, oh, it's such an amazing Haunting. example of oh no, is it a psychological haunting? Or was it a real ghost? That right. you just you know researchers, uh, scholarly researchers, still haven't resolved that, um, mm. and it's just so much of a testament to his craft. But I got into this idea of psychological hauntings, and I think there are some things where. Um, you can link it to, you know, secrets and traumatic secrets being repressed and uh -huh. there's a psychological manifestation, but some are really inexplicable mm -hmm. and you right. may never find the answers, you know, maybe it is un something unresolved, which is what mm -hmm. a lot of the narrative is. 
sometimes, but maybe it's just there. They're just there because I do think there's something to be said about, you know, as energy systems and the spirit world. And we mm. live with a lot of things that our eyes are not capable of seeing. Um, they're not, not necessarily evil or dangerous or anything like that. So that's what I think anyway, but yeah. Aren't they? <laughs> you know, I, and you're coming out of this conversation, me and Bhakti talking about what do we make out of this, right? Are these kinds of things, as you said, are they psychological horror? Are they unhappy presence? Uh, like Bhakti just mentioned, right? And the larger question is, how do you define this? What are ghosts then? Uh, when in this world we are, it's just so logical or you know is this science or is this rational how do you account for these phenomena like the story that you just told us so i think so you, okay so you mentioned a nice thing here which is i think this the science and the rational and i think a lot of the mm, the systems that we're set up in the world systems that we're set up in lean or want to lean towards the rational and the science and the immediate question is mm -hmm. okay you know where's the proof uh but there is this completely other world that exists without that kind of evidence uh and it's a lot of ex experiential uh evidence i think so for example it, you know i mean it's a very broad brush stereotype but if i think of tribal societies and i'm thinking of the native american uh yeah. societies right now I mean, mm. they've got their own, you know, uh, belief systems uh, sure. from nation to nation, but uh, they live in the spirit realm in such a powerful, heavy way. And then uh, they don't have this uh, immediate, they, they, you know, they don't have this immediate kind of, oh, rationality is everything we need to lean on. So mm. I think uh, we miss out on so much of the world if we choose to think just that way as well. Mm. And the brain is trained. I mean, we all come from, you know, education yeah. systems which have trained us to think a certain way and I, I i think one of the things i've been doing uh in the last decade or so has been trying to train myself away from that which is also you know about getting more into my creativity and connecting more with my sense of intuition um and maybe i have mm -hmm. the ghost the original ghost from age 10 to thank for that i don't know but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean I think like, you know, before Amrita and I were talking also about this idea of being open to these experiences, you know, like I'm, I'm not someone who is open to experiences. I, I want to close my eyes and put the blanket over my head or I don't know something. That's why what's terrifying about your story is that it happens in broad daylight at 2 p.m. Right. You know, that's right. the scariest type of like TV shows also, <laughs> you know, like and the tiny you know, crackling of the leaves or something, you know, that's the, that's the scariest type of like uh, ghost stuff to watch as well. Um, but speaking of this idea of being open to that experience, something about the self, is it something within us, you know, I guess I'm still seeking psychological explanations. Is it something within us that's trying to make sense of trauma? You used the word before, right, right, family right. secrets, yeah. something that you've been coping with, holding in, do we need to listen to ghosts from the past, whatever you want to call them? Or like, is this something you actively have tried to do or, you know? Oh, a couple of things. Uh, <laughs> let me hold two different threads. One thing you said and then the other thing you said. Is this something? So I had, um, it hasn't happened lately, but I kind of try and stay open to 
spirits. I'm more, I say, I think I'm more um, in tune with energies, uh, but not, not so much spirits. So when I was living in London, so let's say 20, uh, between 20, 2007, 2009, I think it might have mm -hmm. been, I was staying in this house in Kentish Town. Um, and uh, we had a two-floor bedroom and I was sharing it with uh, um, a, a good friend of mine and she had the flat facing the road with the noise and I have the flat facing the still and the back with the trees and there were two different nights separate apart from each other where I heard my name being whispered in my ear at what? night. Oh my goodness. I was asleep <laughs> and I heard my name. Someone else was speaking my name. And I remember waking up and going, am I saying my name in my sleep and waking myself up? And then I went back to sleep and it oh wasn't. So the second time I heard my name, I woke up and I saw a white thing at the end of my bed, like a hovering mm -hmm. white thing. Oh, and, my I, and, I, and in my book, there is like this daphnis, you know, it's a very uh, typical ghost motif, so daphnis, white woman or whatever. Um, the funny thing is, I remember the, my reaction to it. Like the first time I was like, exactly what you described, Bhakti, you know, it's like, oh, <laughs> over my head, it's going to go away. Uh, the second time I was kind of like, oh, gosh, what does it want? And my rationality kicked in. Oh my, my, my brain was like, okay, it has nothing to do with me. It's just there. Just accept uh -huh. it and, you know, go back to sleep. And but you I didn't did. want to find out what it was? You didn't want no. to get up? No. Oh <laughs> no. So, so for me, it's like actually having this acceptance of it's there and mm. there's no conversation needed. There's no frustration. I need to tie up with it. Um, so, yeah, and, and after having that kind of experience, uh, I'm kind of more like, you know, uh, yeah, they're among us. Okay, you know, it has nothing to do with me. Uh, they're just around. Um, huh. That is spooky. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to prove that it's about you, about me. Like you're right. open to something, you're seeking something, and the answers are sort of coming or something. Yeah. So, so the other, I, I've picked up the other thread now. So intergenerational trauma. So mm. there is a whole study about how um, intergenerational trauma through. Um, the ages or through different whatever family, you know, four or five generations, secrets can be deeply hidden and then they come out in other ways. And one of the ways is they can be manifestations in sort of ghostly ways or things that haunt you. And the person, you know, five generations, four generations later has no idea what has happened four mm -hmm. generations or five generations ago. And there right. is this weird stuff happening in their house or in a family member or whatever. So you do have people that kind of record these things. So here's an interesting thing. One of the first talks I gave um, when I was talking about my book, someone in the audience was a clinical psychologist. And she approached wow. me afterwards. And so uh, the first thing was people in the audience asked me, do you believe in ghosts? And I said, I believe in people's experience uh, hmm. of ghosts. So I believe when people say to me, oh, I saw a ghost or whatever it is, you know, they describe the story. Um, and I believe that they have experienced something where they're like, oh, it's a ghost, oh, it's paranormal, this happened to me, and they, it's so real to them. So I do say that to people, and I still believe that. The thing the clinical psychologist said to me was, I am such a rational person, exactly, you know, evidence-based, there's a reason for right. people's understanding of 
exorcisms and possession. And she's like, she was explaining it all to me. There's research saying how the face contorts itself and it looks like a different person. And so the person thinks it's a devil possessing you and everything. She explained everything to me. And then she said, but I recently lost my mother. And it was oh. such a huge loss for me that uh, one day when I was walking on the beach, I had this blinding, overpowering experience that my mother appeared to me and we ended up having a one-hour conversation. And she's like, I have no explanation for that as a clinical psychologist. But to this day, I believe it's completely real. And she said, that's, that's why she came to my talk. Oh, she was like, that's a beautiful so, story, though. It is a great story. I just she, got you also. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, I'm sure there are enough mm. psychologists out there who have rational explanations. But I, this is why mm. I said I think there's a whole realm that is, um, I don't know, not, not, it's just there. There may never be answers. May, we may never know the answers. They're just mysterious to us. But yeah. they're just people around us and, and well, yeah. spirits around us yeah but you know um, jessica you you were talking about something that is fascinating intergenerational trauma and bhakti you mentioned the colonial haunting and i want to go back to the book after lives and goa itself lends a presence of this kind of ghostliness the 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 space itself right and you know you talk about this kind of past coming back repressed how it then becomes a ghostliness in the present time. So there's a political aspect to the haunting, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So can you talk about this kind of colonial haunting? How does one politicize ghosts? Yeah, I think um, there's a, a pretty much a, a long established tradition of sort of the Gothic uh, story and the Gothic yeah. tradition being rooted in the whole post-colonial empire building scenario. And then it was a way, it was seen as uh, as a, yeah, as a trope, uh, a means of explaining otherness um, and the Orient and all, mm. the, all those things uh, to a group of people, to the colonizers who were, you know, was yeah. dealing with a huge amount of uncertainty and newness. And it was a very convenient way of packaging it as, you know, the Gothic story, which took off wildly as a genre yes. um, at that time. I mean, mm. uh, yeah, and I could see why, you know, so from... Uh, Walpole wrote, writing the Castle of Otranto in uh, the, what is it, 18th century, and 1700 something or the other. And then 200, 300 years later, you know, to Dickens and the Christmas Carol. And so it really yeah. captures something in people's minds. And yes, it was a very political, um, psychological, sociological thing that was being packaged in this way. And uh, if you look at it from the Goan context, so one of the stories, um, first of all, I have a diaspora, Goan diaspora family in there, which, you know, is all about the movements and Goans um, have been moving ever since they mm. figured out how to board a ship. So since the colonization by the Portuguese, you have stories of Goans on caravels and all of that. Sort sure. of thing. Uh, but uh, you also have, the, I have the Portuguese Inquisition as one of the stories in there because I think not mm -hmm. very much is written about it. And it was a significant period of Goa's history, a horrible period, uh, mm -hmm. many horrible things happened. Uh, but also people don't realize that it was um, the coming of the Nuevos Cristos. So the, the, the inception of the Inquisition in Goa in particular, the Portuguese Inquisition, was to catch hold of uh, the Sephardic Jews that had migrated from Spain and Portugal 
right. to come wow. to Goa and escaping persecution. And then the Inquisition, you know, a few decades later, followed them uh, to Goa. Mm. And then from there, it branched out into persecution of other uh, religions. So uh, that haunting is something that I wanted to bring. And that's part of the intergenerational trauma in the story as well. Uh, yeah, one of the priests there, part of the Inquisition and um, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, you know, Amrita, when we and I, Amrita and I were chatting before you came, she was talking about various uh, things like that in uh, uh, in Calcutta yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, you know. So yes, I think there is a lot of kind of there are small cultural ways in which uh, collectively people are always kind of coping with ghosts or dealing with ghosts or keeping them alive or trying to banish them. All those kinds of things. Um, do you feel? that everyone's after the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, do you, like, there are so many various, like Native Americans engage with ghosts in a particular way. Uh, Indians, uh, you know, Hindus and their conception of ghosts is very different, I would say, from like Christian or Muslim or, there's just so many cultural specificities. But is everyone, is everyone engaging with ghosts in some form or the other for the same thing? If my question is yeah. too vague, we can move on. But like, are we all seeking the same thing when we are engaging with just ghosts in general as a country, as a Goa, as individuals? I'm when not clear what the same thing means. So yeah, I'm, I'm like wondering. Like the same thing. Like, are we trying to deal with the past? Is it about history? Is it about coping with history? Is it about connecting with loved ones that have gone away? Is or it that kind of boundary, right? That you're talking about living and dead. There's always that kind of need to reach beyond. Is it all of that? Reach the past, or probably all of the above, and some more. Uh, What's so, up? Yeah. more? I was yeah. So probably all everything you mentioned and some more. Um, it's a way of helping us understand things that are beyond our understanding at this point in time, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. So yes. like if I think of the example of you know how how I mentioned the Gothic story came around. People had no concept. You know, so there was so much disconnect between in, in within what was happening in empire. Mm -hmm. uh, right. The colonizers and, and the colonized were so disconnected from each other. Nobody knew what was actually happening. They relied on narration and accounts. And a lot of people were illiterate. So for them to have these stories and ghost stories translate very well because of the oral tradition, the oral storytelling tradition that they seeped in. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think, yeah, I mean, if I think about the tribal tradition, uh, it keeps um, traditions alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of them being, you know, steeped in fear. And so we want to use ghosts as a way of control, a means of control. Yeah. Um, there's also that. So that's the and more. No, you're um, right about the fear part because one thing about like, engaging with like Halloween or whatever, you know, all these different, different things and the addiction to like genre movies, right? Horror yeah. films, ghost films, whatever is about. Uh, and then I connected also to like people who are like desperate for like these roller coaster rides. Like we really want to be afraid for a minute and yeah. then we want to have overcome it, you know? And uh, there is something about inviting fear and then controlling it, as, as you said. But I know that Amrita had a question about, 
I was what you do. <laughs> you know, I was thinking all of this relates to you also moonlighting as a tarot reader. And I suspect that a lot of our viewers who are listening in are interested in that aspect. How do we deal with the ghosts of our past or this aspect of what, you know, tarot reading is, is, um, in that kind of realm of or even ghosts. astrology and all or yeah. even astrology right but i do think there's some kind of difference between both the um, sure, sure. things but you know if we are we talked about this kind of rationality and science so it is not enough you said that there's something beyond with that excellent example you gave of the psychologist giving you that story so why do we then need this less proven often mocked i mean tarot reading is mocked right now or has always been mm. uh tell us about your experience in that area yeah yeah so i um i don't know so i've been drawn to it for a very long time and uh i picked up a pack of cards rather randomly maybe yeah it, uh yeah 20 plus years ago but i didn't really get into it until about 5 years ago professionally uh, and in between, I'd gone to a couple of tarot card readers more out of interest. I think people go to tarot card readers or astrologers. Well, astrology is a little different because in the Hindu tradition, it's very much a part of your family tradition of uh, going and sure. seeing someone. It's very predictive as well. So yeah. tarot card readers, their own style varies, um, you know, uh, from one one person to another and I have a more intuitive style I would say and that's actually a clue to how I've regarded it so when I as I began to understand how tarot card reading worked it really helped me connect more deeply with my intuition which really helped me with my creative writing which oh, then wow. fed back to you know the tarot card reading so there was this uh, wonderful cyclical thing happening with me deepening my own intuition and just having in a way the freedom to connect with it uh, more powerfully that sort of fueled my writing in a very powerful way um, and yeah I do readings for people and there are things more often than not I find what happens is people have the answers within them already and so I end up telling them the story so the tarot cards have specific visuals pictures around them on them yeah. and numbers and and colors and so you as a tarot card reader you're trained to make meaning out of them and then you uh lay out some cards randomly and then you tell the person sitting across from you the story you're seeing and so i mean mm -hmm. i love that it's another form of storytelling in a way and then i'm narrating yeah. what i'm seeing and then i ask them for some context and i'm like checking with them and that sort of thing but then there that's mostly i find that it connects with what is already happening with people that, you know, they already at a subconscious or unconscious level, uh, you know, they want to know something. So you come to a tarot card reader because you want, you're steeped in uncertainty about something and you just want to calm it down, you know, and right. you're like, all right, I'm going to see this person. And so it kind of connects stuff that's inside of you that's already there, but you're doing a sifting, you're helping the person do a sifting, you know, and then this happens. Um, yeah. yeah. And, Beautiful. That's my experience of it. Very few times weird predictive things have happened with me, but I tell people there's no, you know, the premise is yeah. this is not, and this is not, uh, uh, you know, uh, a substitute for therapy. I do say that as well. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. You, have, you know, talk therapy is very different from. Right. Jessica, oh, we, 
We are running out of time, but I did have one question for you. You're going to laugh at this question, but like you just talked about writing, you know, like you write, your storytelling is helped by the tarot card readings, you know, all of this stuff. And that there is a kind of attempt at narrativizing, expressing uh, all these experiences with people, with yourself, with your own family, your life. Uh, all Does it all help? Like, are you really free? Like, <laughs> like are you free of fear or like, have you banished the ghost from your past? Because sounds, like, things- sounds like she is free of fear if she can. <laughs> so I'm not going to laugh at, at the, your question, but you're going to laugh at my answer for sure. Okay. So one of the things is I cannot write ghost stories or anything scary uh, before sunset. Like I have to stop at sunset, you know, five what? o'clock and I'm done. Even my my book, because my imagination would get into the research or the stories in such a vivid way, I would be having these dreams keeping me up at night, you know. So so I have to stop when it's ghost stories in particular. I have to just stop at five o'clock. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I would scare myself with my own stories. So yeah, oh I don't. Goodness. Yeah. Like, so I mean, you would laugh at that. The other question you asked was. Um, what did you ask? Sorry, the second part. No, um, did I banish these ghosts? Yeah. Have I banished these ghosts? So the, the interesting, thanks. So the interesting thing about that is, um, I think, like I said at the start, I had this haunting, haunted event that then haunted me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when I wrote it out uh, onto the page, so the raw draft of the book, if you like, there was one level of catharsis, like, okay, it's now on the page. But that was nothing compared to once it was published and it was out there and I started having conversations about the book with people. And even now, like, you know, 10, 11 years later, uh, that has been more, yeah, I'm done with that. That incident is like, okay, you know, I only talk about it when, it, when I need to. It's, mm-hmm. it's just uh, given me so much other stuff. So, yeah, that's whole part right. of my life you, so you succeeded in putting it away somehow right, right. yeah and it's given me a lot of clarification in other ways like i'm more accepting of these native realms and spiritual realms and other ways of being as a consequence yeah. of it so yeah there's no fear about those stepping into those places and tarot card reading as well you know there's no fear about doing those things i think well, yeah you're very inspiring i'm it, really it inspired <laughs> I'm a little scared. <laughs> Don't be scared. Nothing to be scared of. Gosh, message me if you start to get any. Hey, like, I'm weird, lighthearted. Weird so I, I am definitely not reading these stories after sunset for myself. <laughs> Thank Don't you so much for joining us, Jessica. That was Thank wonderful. you, Jessica. My pleasure. Nice chatting with you both. Thank you. We'll be back on The Wire next week with another question, another exciting guest, and more conversation.